I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of It's Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Scott Wintrip. Now, Scott is the author of High Velocity Hiring and the founder of Wintrip Consulting Group. Five consecutive years, staff and industry analysts placed him on its Staff in 100 ranking. He's also a member of the Million Dollar Consultant Hall of Fame and was recently inducted into the Staff in 100 Hall of Fame. Wintrip has been a speaker at Staff in World, ERE Recruiting Conference, Staff in Industry Expert Forum, APS CEO Member Conference in UK, Global Recruiter in Singapore and the Middle East, RCSA International Conference in Australia and New Zealand, and many, many other events. We're definitely going to be talking about all those experiences, but for um, for context and for people listening, he's a hiring expert and he's going to be talking about how to hire top talent in an instant. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hi, oh, I, number one, you read that list beautifully. That is not an easy list. <laughs> I'm humbled by you sharing it, and I'm really honored to be with you. You're making a big difference in the world, and I'm glad that we get to talk about that today. Thank you so much. And for those listening, there, when you listen to this, you're not going to hear the stumbles, but that was I did stumble through some of that. And um, Scott is being way too kind uh, in in saying that I read that too nicely. But I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to have you on here because we do have some synergy. And we talked about that pre-show. We talked about our mutual interest in making a difference and embracing our differences as well as inclusion and diversity. But I think the best thing, as always, with any of my podcasts is to start with your story. You know, what led you to this why and this mission and purpose of yours? Oh, well, it's it's going to be obvious how I, I found this straight line path. Actually, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> uh, I, I, I went to college as a music major. <clears throat> I was a music education, a music theory major. And uh, you're now realizing there is no straight line here because that's very different than being a hiring expert. What awoke me to the possibility of being, you know, involved in hiring was uh, I went to a staffing company in college and to be very blunt. I was looking for beer money. 
because uh, I, I didn't have a lot of money back then. I was a poor college kid, and a friend of mine had a warehouse job, and I thought, that's easy. I don't have to use my brain. I'm using that a lot in school, and uh, so I can just lift things and move things, and that would be great. So I go to this staffing office, this temp job. I would get paid every single week, I was told, by this friend. So I'm like, I'm all over this. There's my beer money. And as I sat across the table from, from the woman at the desk, she said something really intriguing to me. She said, have you ever considered this industry? And I'm sitting across from her going, what industry? Um, you know, putting people in these temporary jobs, that's an industry? <laughs> so I asked, and she said, yeah, it's called the staffing industry. And, and we help people with one of the most important parts of their life, their work. And we help companies with one of the most important assets, their people. And that intrigued me. And I, I, I didn't take a temp job because uh, I, I didn't like the hours that they were going to offer. And I didn't at that time accept a job in that industry, even though she planted the seed. But it did plant a seed. I, I was not real happy as a music major. I, I was supposed to be in a practice room practicing my instrument four hours a day. And as a really outgoing social guy, that was not an easy thing to do. And I just sat for days after that thinking about what a noble profession, helping people with one of the most important parts of their lives and helping organizations with their most important asset. And it's stuck. And so shortly thereafter, I, I took on my first job in recruiting. And that began a 30-year a, a career that turned me into a hiring expert. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly about hiring. Uh, and now uh, I'm on a mission to build talent wealth. I've found that when companies are talent rich, there's nothing that can stop them. And unfortunately, less than 10% of companies are talent rich. The rest, uh, you know, can cultivate a better talent wealth. And that's the reason I wrote my new book, High Velocity Hiring, How to Hire Top Talent in an Instant, is it shares my journey along the way of wealth to fill jobs quickly and do so with top-notch people. That's that's incredible, and I love that it is so nonlinear because that that usually is how a lot of things are. A lot of people always ask me, "How do you get started into um, sharing all these stories?" And you know, it, it's very very nonlinear as well. I mean, I was born as a Nigerian that grew up in all these countries, and naturally my talents were suited towards building cultural competency because you had to do that as a kid. But I never necessarily thought I could make that a career because I thought I was going to be a lawyer initially. And then, and then I thought I was going to do, do um, you know, something in, in the United Nations. But I think there's something to be said when you find your passion and you just sort of create that, that job around that. And, you know, it's interesting how you found your love for recruiting and helping um, people actually fill talent positions because, uh, you know, you and I were talking about this early on and Leela brought this up in a previous interview, Leela Srinivasan, for those listening. She said a lot of hiring managers actually aren't trained appropriately. And you pair that up with the idea that you brought up to me before, before the show. You said not a lot of people pay attention to details in hiring. And I think that's a very, very troubling thing if these are the individuals who are making the decisions as to who gets to stay in an organization. It's, uh, why do you think that is? Huh. I think hiring's taken for granted. And, and I, I also think that hiring has been treated as an HR job versus the leadership responsibility it's always been. And I listened to that podcast with Leela, and I think she nailed it, is we've got lots of leaders out there who uh, many of them are very good in their core role in that full-time job that they do. And, of course, they can sharpen that edge. But most of them have not been educated or trained or indoctrinated 
into the better ways of hiring. And I often say, Tayo, that they're stuck in the old way of hiring, and that's keeping a job open until the right person shows up. And the reason they're stuck in that is that's the way it's been done for a long time by a lot of leaders. Well, when you think about that, that leader has to do their full-time job. They have to manage the responsibilities of that open seat or seats, and there's often more than one. And then they have a third job, which is to hire. And we wonder why these leaders are intensely overwhelmed. So that old way of hiring keeps them stuck in the old way because they don't have time to learn something different. I believe in the new way of hiring, which is what I encapsulated in my book. And I've made it very straightforward and simple where any leader, regardless of where they're at in their tenure, can learn the new way of hiring. And that is you cultivate top talent and you wait for the job to show up. And if you follow a simple step-by-step approach, you can pull yourself out of the old habits that no longer work in this fast-paced world and instead become a leader who's learned to do it differently. And while, you know, it'd be nice if everybody could go back to school and this, you know, became a part of every university program, which I'm I'm fighting for, uh, that's not the case right now. So this book is to fill that gap, to show people how to do something that's different and impactful, and it's going to make them a better leader because they have the talent they need to lead their organization to something better. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. So cultivate top talent and actually wait for the job. How does that go with companies when you tell them that they should do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining, I mean, I'm a consultant and I'm just listening and I'm wondering, I, I talked to a lot of leaders there and I, I can't imagine that they, they find that to be something that they want to do. <laughs> Well, they don't want to do it in some cases, or they think they can't do it until I help them realize they can't afford to not to. Uh, you know, I think it comes down to what talented people want and what companies need at the same time. So I, I equate it this way. Open seats are like an open wound. Sorry to be a little gross. You know, it's a painful distraction. As I said before, the leader's got to do their job, manage the extra workload and interview. And the more open seats you have, the more painful it is, the more painful that distraction is. So leaders have this open seat, but they're afraid to get it wrong. So they engage in these slow to hire, quick to fire mindset. So interviewing has grown from two to three to four, sometimes five or six rounds of interviews. Well, as that great philosopher uh, Sweet Brown said, ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) And, you know, that that talented person is going to look at those leaders who go through four or five or six rounds of interviews and think, that's not who I want to work for. I want to work for somebody who's confident. I want to work for somebody who doesn't you know, operate out of fear. And so these talented people are going to organizations like the ones I've worked with and, and wanting to work with those because they look at those leaders with tremendous respect. We're in a fast-paced world. And when when organizations realize the fast-paced world requires faster hiring, they become a little more open-minded. But here's the other thing. When they start to understand just how simple this process is, that's where they get on board. And it's usually the C-suite that's driving this. They, better than anybody else, realize that being talent poor is going to keep them from reaching their goals. But being talent rich is going to let them be rich is going to help them be the trendsetter that they can be in the marketplace. Okay. No, I love it. And I think, you know, part of inclusive leadership, it, it's, it takes a lot of courage, you know, and, and you being willing to stand up and do things that are against the norm. Because the fact is with hiring and with retaining talent, old school methods, 20th century methods do not work in a 21st century world, especially with the mm-hmm. digitalization and my generation millennials and younger Gen Zers 
it's not going to be the same if you don't adapt because a lot of what we look for and what the younger uh, generation even looks for, you know, it, it's so multi-layered that if you if you make it uh, an archaic system, you're not going to retain them anyway, you know, because it's not inclusive to them. I so agree. Yeah, and how inclusion is being incorporated is mind-boggling. Now, one of my, my favorite examples of what not to do is this thing called blind hiring. So blind hiring, the idea, and I, I learned about this one as a music major. It, it, I never uh, auditioned for a symphony orchestra, but I know people who did. And what they often do for whatever symphony orchestra it is, is they have the jury of people from the orchestra who are judging the performer who's auditioning to join the symphony sitting in the audience. And then the performer is behind a screen. You can't see them. You can only hear them playing. And they want to judge the music and the performance and not the person. And that makes sense in music to some degree. You, you don't want to be distracted by anything as you take the music in. But let's look at it in a job environment now. This whole concept of blind hiring has been put in the corporate environment. And this is how we're supposedly going to create inclusion. Well, it's a band-aid. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't address the fact that there is bias. It just puts a band-aid on people's biases. It doesn't show them the whole person. And it's biasing people towards the process. So you've got hiring managers, for example. I had one tell me in the recent, I hate it that my company treats me like I'm a member of a hate group. I just want the best person. I don't care who they are, their sexual orientation, where they grew up, their ethnic. I don't care. And then you have candidates and they come in and they have to sit behind a screen in an interview. And they're looking at this going, what the heck? And they're being biased to the process as well. It comes down to when we and I believe in interviews where you let people do sample work. You see the whole person. You see them performing mock tasks related to the job. You know what that does? That creates inclusion and diversity because now you look at the whole person and maybe you haven't hired somebody of an, a specific ethnicity before. But when you see that person doing that job as well or better than anybody else that you've hired in the past, that starts to strip away some of our biases and help people understand diverse people of all types can do amazing, amazing work. No, I, I mean, I love it. And this, this is so funny to me because you and I, we've... Uh... We, we are in similar fields, but I have actually argued for blind hiring. But this, this is the difference with, with uh, what we're saying. And I love when um, I have uh, disagreements because it makes for healthy conversations. And I, I, I agree with your point that it is, it is the Band-Aid. And in the, in the article I wrote, which came out last Thursday, it was basically how to address bias in the workplace. And mm. the things that I touched on was the first thing, was, which is the, what you just said, was address your bias. A lot of people don't actually know that they have their biases and their unconscious bias is something that, you know, we're all susceptible to. If you have a brain, you know, we only receive 40 out of 11 million pieces of information that our brains are processing and we take the shortcuts. But I was also talking about the fact that you attract talent. And then I didn't say blind recruiting was the solution. I was just saying it's something to consider in a, as, as a practice to remove personal identifiable information. And the reason why I'm asking, because you and I know we had talked about how my name can be sometimes be interesting for people to pronounce, but I've been in situations where people have read my name before. And then when I catch them in private situations, they say, you know, I, I almost didn't bring you in because of your name. I didn't know if mm. you, speak, you speak English. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I was looking at and I, you know, this, I don't know how they told me this in confidence. Um, I guess I must have built a good relationship with them, but I'd say so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and that's, uh, this happened to me a lot of times because, you know, as an international and I've come across a lot of people who have, you know, different names for, uh, you know, the Western world's pronounced. It's always interesting that they basically say that the name affected their, their, their choice. And I, and, and that's, that's what I was saying. I'm not saying as a solution. I just think in addition to developing structured evaluations, as well as taking your bias, uh, tests and being trained on those things that it could work in concert with. Now, your point that it's only used as a bandaid is, is interesting because you seem to be saying that companies just try to use blind recruiting. And I think they've solved their, uh, lack of inclusion problem. Yeah. You know, so. Is are, are all blind hiring initiatives wrong and bad and something we should remove? No, uh, we have to get from here to there. And if it takes some initial scrubbing of names from a resume to get leaders to a point that they can now read those names and not have a knee jerk reaction, I'm all for it. But the, the problem I have with blind hiring, uh, Tayo, is the, the fact that um, you said it, people think they're done. They're not. And I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, one of the most prejudicial environments I've ever experienced, and I talk about this in the diversity chapter of my book, was a manufacturing plant that had a, a, an almost caste-like system of people. And the managers would openly tell you that certain ethnicities fit certain roles better than others. And they didn't realize how discriminatory they were being to a point of being illegal. And the production manager that, that brought me in was somebody I worked with in another, I worked with when, him when he was another organization. And I almost didn't take this assignment because I don't work with companies that live in their bias and are willing, unwilling to get out of it. Absolutely. But he said something interesting to me. He said, you know, Scott, I'm going to use your words. He, he'd heard me say the words that, you know, these are not bad people. They're just making bad choices. And I've talked about that, about, you know, some of the, the, the buy-in that people have on certain ideas. And that was true here. He said, these are not bad people. They've just bought in to some biased beliefs about certain types of people being perfect for certain types of roles. He said, we need to show them this is different. So, you know, in the beginning, when we started working, we worked with one department and we would set up interviews where we would have the candidates come in and do sample work within the department so the leaders could see people in action. We did not tell the names of these people ahead of time because the, the leaders would have looked at some of those names most likely and said, oh, no, that's not who we normally hire. They could tell by the name. So we did scrub that. And then we put them in a room and you could you could see the, the hiring managers looking at this diverse group of people and going, you know, they didn't say it, but they were like, uh, hold on. This is all wrong. This is not who we normally hire. But then we had those workers do sample work. And you would see, you could watch these leaders, their experience start to change immediately. They're seeing people of different ethnicities and backgrounds working better or harder or differently in ways they'd never seen before. They learned that diverse talent as compared to their caste-like system was a better way to go because people brought different approaches. That eventually led to that they could see the names ahead of time and they didn't have that knee-jerk reaction. I think, Tayo, it comes down to I've traveled the world. You know, I've been blessed like you to have different experiences. And I have found that cultural awareness creates smarter leadership. 
Yep. I'm a smarter leader. I have less knee-jerk reactions, or I at least know that I have my knee-jerk reactions. You said it. We all bring bias from our life. But if we gain awareness of what that is, we can counter that thought with the next action. And the next action is, hey, I've experienced all these different kinds of people. And yeah, this old thinking still sits in the background, but I don't have to follow the old thinking. I can follow my learning that I've experienced about how all kinds of different people can do amazing work together. Yes, I love what you're saying. And for those listening, look, it's within diversity and inclusion, it's, it, there's diversity of thought. And the fact that you and I mm. were able to even have that conversation and we didn't throw things across the table and say, I'm done That's with right. this interview. You think Brian Cruden sucks? Bye. Get out. Um, no, I, I, I think we're ultimately saying the same thing because yes. it is this has to be leadership driven than one. But it, it's also going to be work. And to do work, you have to make sure that you're fully committed to to go through the, the hard stages, which will be, you know, having all these different concepts that you may not be used to. Maybe you've been biased a certain way for maybe over 20 years of your life. So trying to incorporate all these things into your workplace might not be initially something you're used to. But understanding that at the end, you know, diversity fuels innovation, which fuels a lot of what businesses like to uh, quantify as, um, you know, profits and revenue. So seeing that long game understanding the fact that the reality of, of, of our world today is a global village and cultural competency is something that you would have to develop if you want to succeed and not be a dinosaur is uh, is something that you have to deal with in concert with doing your day-to-day. And it might seem stressful at first because you do have to do your profit-based things, but it's just something that we have to train ourselves to uh, to incorporate into our daily lives every day. I agree. And, and then you can have these conversations. And, and, and you know, I, I think about politics. Um, it's, it's so easy to go there right now, given what's going on in the world. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, you know, I, I think that the, the problem that we see in politics mirrors the problem in society <clears throat> is we have a whole bunch of people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. People who are a lot alike talking about issues without others of a diverse background and mindset adding to the conversation. And it's leading to solutions that are incomplete because that group of same people are solving it from their singular, unique perspective. And that's problematic because it's not going to solve the bigger picture problem. When we can get diverse people around a table and it's diverse in thought and background and orientation and gender and, you know, we can go deep on this. Every single person brings a different experience. And, and the aha moments you get from that create not just new solutions, but broader solutions that meet the needs of all parties. 
And you said it well. This creates now better solutions. We can better serve our customers because we can relate to them better. We're creating things that work for more people. Why wouldn't an organization be more profitable? They're more interesting. They're more intellectual. They're better off for this global world that we live in today. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you and I are so in line. It's not even funny. I, I think I, I often start some talks where I say the two most important skills to build in the 21st century are cultural competency and personal branding. And I think, uh-huh. I think it's it, you know with the intersection of the digital age. I know you have very strong opinions about this <laughs> and globalization. It's it's you know if you want to stand out, use your difference to make a difference. If you will, you have to be able to know how to brand yourself and tell your story effectively. One that creates community that makes you relatable, but you also have to be able to know how to communicate across cultures. And if you extend this to politics, um, it's foreign affairs. You know how are other leaders seeing you? Do they trust you? Do they give you the uh, the, the respect that you want, or do you trust the respect their their um, information? If you extend this to business, if you're scaling, look at Uber. Um, Uber mm-hmm. grew very very fast, and I don't know if they're going to tumble, but this year has certainly not been favorable to them just because of a lot of internal workplace cultures that they didn't address in the in the beginning when they were just growing exponentially so all these things will eventually bite you uh, in the butt if you don't address them early because uber might be america-based but they're everywhere in the world and now their name seems to be tainted as a company that doesn't respect women and uh that's not a good reputation to have well, and you, you, you're using a great example. So let's, let's tie this into talent wealth now, why that's so important. And part of talent wealth is, is uh, about diversity. So there's this spectrum, and it's called the talent wealth spectrum. And on the spectrum, there are talent rich companies, talent strong, talent stable, and talent poor. And Uber right now has you know, a mixture of departments that are either talent strong or talent stable. There's probably a little bit of talent poor in there. Right. And, and when you're not talent rich, you can't innovate, you can't drive fast change uh, like other organizations can. Google's probably a very good example of this is across the board, most of their departments are probably talent rich. So you've got talent stable at best departments and maybe some talent strong in Uber that lack diversity, that lack some of the creative thought, that lack some of the top talent that can drive an organization forward. We're seeing the results of a lack of talent wealth. And, and what they need to do now is build a stronger team of higher level talent, of diversity, and we'll watch them rise again if they do it fast enough. But if they don't, if they continue to sink, they're going to become talent poor. And we've seen what happens to those companies. There's the the ones that eventually go under. They don't have the foresight. They don't have the leadership. They don't have the talent to get them out of these holes. So this is why it's so important in hiring to draw back to that is the, one of the top jobs a leader has is to surround themselves with good people. That's been talked about for a long time. Well, that starts with hiring. And, and this shows leaders that building talent well, that's no longer an HR responsibility. It is a leadership competency. Yeah. Everybody in the organization has to be good at it. They have to fully participate. They have to help generate talent because they all have different networks. They have to conduct better interviews like the ones I've described here that allow people to do sample work. And then we need to cultivate talent before we need it, that new way of hiring. And only then can we have a talent-rich company like a Google, like a Starbucks, like others 
that you know are are able to get through tough times more easily than what we're seeing at Uber. Yeah, yeah, and and to even further briefly appoint um, the vice president of people and culture for IBM Watson had said this when he read your book, and he says there's a big difference between speed and haste. Mm. Rather than making hasty hiring decisions at IBM, we've backed we've baked system that actually incorporates speed into our process for talent acquisition. That's why high-velocity hiring is so important. Fast and accurate hiring is never an accident. It happens mm. because leaders plan for it, which is what you said, implement a process to achieve it, and hold staff accountable to following the plan. In your hiring right plan, which is something we haven't necessarily touched on, we've touched on some of the concepts, you've essentially created a playbook for hiring. And you, you basically say from the beginning, this is not an HR-only silo thing. This is a top-down, bottom-up approach that needs to be incorporated from everyone um, in the company. Everyone has to know what the company culture is, and you have to have planned for this when you do your beginning-of-the-year things. So what are ways the leaders can work in concert with the rest of the organizations to say, this is what we're hiring for, um, this are the evaluations we should create, uh, and this is how we can make sure we have a very inclusive environment once we get them in. So there are three things that leaders can do. And I, I'm going to draw some key pieces from the book now. And the book certainly goes deeper, but I'll give enough of an overview that people can get started right now when they finish the podcast. So the first thing is you've got to be, build a better blueprint. And you, you mentioned the name, the higher right profile that is the beginning of my process for hiring. I call it the talent accelerator process. Uh, the higher right profile helps you know exactly who to hire. What's interesting, Tayo, is most leaders don't realize how emotional hiring is and how emotions interfere. And we did some research for this in the book. We found that there are a handful of emotions that interfere with people making good choices. The most intriguing one was likability. And this surprises a lot of people. Um, the moment you start liking a candidate, it actually can undermine your selection process, because what happens for a lot of leaders is, oh, I like this guy or I like this individual. I like this person. And you start negotiating with yourself over the facts uh, of you know what they don't fit. Oh, they don't have this skill or that skill, but gee, I like them. And in surveying managers, likability was the one that showed up more than 70% of the time as the one that leaders reported as undermining their choices. They ended up picking the wrong person because they liked them and they just negotiated with themselves as to the fact they didn't have skills. The higher right profile takes the emotional impact out of hiring. It helps you have a very clear-cut, one-page list of must-haves. I call them deal-makers, must-not-haves, deal-breakers and pluses and minuses, I call those boosts and blocks. If leaders build those profiles, then they can conduct these better interviews that I talked about. And that's my second tip. I call them experiential interviews. Uh, conventional interviews where two people sit down, they talk about doing work, and then they hope that's a good indicator that the job's a fit. You know, they say talk is cheap for a reason. I actually find talks expensive when you talk about doing work in an interview. Two people, you know, talk about doing work. The hiring manager talks about the best parts of the company. The candidate talks about the best parts of themselves. And then they show up together on day one. They look at each other and go, who are you? You're not who I talk to. It's not reality. So if you have a higher right profile that shows you who to hire, you conduct an experiential interview where you have candidates do sample work. You get to see the candidate in action and they get to experience the kind of work they'll be doing. 
interviewing decisions on facts, not fiction. So that's my second tip. Conduct a hands-on interview based on that first tip, the higher right profile. And then the third thing is, is if we do this, if we cultivate talent, fill our open jobs, the third tip then is line up people before you need them. You know, there's no surprise that jobs are going to open. We can stop being uh, stuck in that old way of hiring, uh, keeping a job open until the right person shows up. We can fill our jobs and then cultivate top talent and wait for the jobs to show up, that new way of hiring. And that's because we're following the profile, we're conducting better interviews, and if we just do one of those a week or a couple of those a month, we have people ready to hire the moment a job opens. And that's why in the subtitle of the book, I promise that you can hire top talent in an instant because this process helps you do it. No, I love it. Love it. And thank you for sharing that. I know I know there's definitely more in the book, and that's definitely another reason for you to, to check out the book. But what you shared were easily implementable things. They're not – I mean they're simple, but they're not easy rather. I always, I always like to make that distinction. Some of these things are simple to do, but they're not easy to actually implement because like we were discussing earlier, it's a process. And much like anything, just like your life career was nonlinear, there, there will be bumps uh, you know, along the road. But would you rather yes, have a bump now than a deep one in the future? You, know, you don't want to put a Band-Aid now that doesn't treat the whole solution and then you, you end up creating a culture that you have no idea how to manage. Uh, once you grow. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of these things that, that change is hard. Uh, you're right. You've nailed it. You, you understood this tile like, like smart people always do is this is not rocket science. Uh, and I certainly didn't, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist. This is why I do this work instead. I never expected to be the guy who changes how the world hires. That's not what I set out to do. I saw a problem and I saw, you know, I saw this thing that didn't make sense. I looked at it of, okay, you know, we know the jobs are going to open. Why are we waiting till they open to do something about it? That never made sense to me. And it surprised me that our world has been stuck in this. The world keeps getting faster, but hiring has gotten slower. It makes no sense. And that's why I decided now is the time to share the book. Yeah. You know, the thing that surprises most leaders is this way of hiring is faster and less labor intensive than the old way. You know, there are some jobs, I was just at a, a not-for-profit yesterday, some of their jobs have been open over 200 days. And these are organizations that run lean, and that's not just in the not-for-profit sector. So yes, you know, change isn't easy, but once you get through the change process, and it's actually going to end up being a little easier than many people may think, uh, when you get to the other side of this, it changes everything. You get to focus on running your business versus filling open seats as a leader. That alone is a game changer because you get to channel more time into driving your core mission than you do dealing with those empty seats and yeah. open jobs. No, I love that. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I know we're going to get ready to wrap up soon, but I want to talk about the story you have around you know, using your difference to make a difference. I know you said you had an interesting story that led you to inclusion, to diversity, but also to the <laughs> fact of making <laughs> make an impact. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear it. Yeah. So I, I want to tell you the story of somebody I know. His name is John. Mm. It's a classic, unfortunately, a classic story of bias. And uh, so John didn't graduate high school. And so John's options when it, it uh, came time to get into the workforce were limited. So he took the first you know, one of the first jobs he could get, and that was janitor. And, um, you know, John uh, at that time was a hard worker, uh, always was a hard worker, still is. And uh, so people noticed that. Uh, he went to work as a janitor in a public housing agency. 
And so he got promoted. He got promoted to maintenance man. So here he was doing maintenance in public housing units. And he worked really hard at that. People noticed that. So they made him a maintenance supervisor. And he did really well. They noticed he was good at leading people. And even though he didn't have a high school diploma, you know, he understood maintenance. He could work well with his hands. He led people well. So he went from maintenance supervisor to maintenance manager. And this progression continued. John was loyal. He showed up for work every day. He did his job. He did it really well. People respected him. So he kept rising up through the ranks where he ended up running that entire maintenance organization in this public housing agency. And so John, you know, got higher aspirations. He went back and he got his GED and, uh, he, you know, he, he knew that he needed that if he wanted to continue to rise. So now he had aspirations to, for the, you know, the upper level of management and the next tier, the executive team. And this is where things got ever so slightly uh, ugly, to be candid. Uh, he was sat down at one point by the executive team, a couple members, and they told him to his face, John, we will never, ever promote a man of your color to the executive team. In fact, John, you better toe the line, because if you don't toe the line and stop you know, making waves here and trying to be somebody you're not, you're not going to keep your job. So John had a kid. John had a wife. Uh, he was the sole breadwinner, and this freaked him out. John had uh, ended up in the ER three different times with the symptoms of a heart attack because he was so afraid of losing his job. Fortunately, it was just a panic attack. So, you know, I say it's a classic story of uh, bias because, you know, uh, this stuff's happening every day. It still happens. This happened, you know, some time ago. And the reason I tell this story, uh, what makes it a little bit unusual is who John is. John is my father. And uh, oh my I, am, I, am a, I am a serious white boy, all right? My dad is a serious white. I mean, we're, we're white dudes. You don't often hear a white guy talking about another guy, white guy being treated with such bias and prejudice. And I saw, and, and so that's why I'm so passionate about diversity, is I saw what happened to my father as a white guy. And I realized that that's situational bias. My dad, we've talked about this, and he's still living today. He's a great guy. Um, you know, and he's not biased at all. He's so, he's so open-minded against all types of people. It's, it's mind-boggling. But we, we've talked about this, and, you know, that was the only bias he suffered in his life. And we've talked about the fact that this situational bias was hard and he ended up, you know, being sick over it. But he wasn't dealing with it every single day in all aspects of his life. And that was my big takeaway is what's it like for people who are aren't white and they're dealing with this bias when they go to the store, when the police look at them differently than everybody else. That's why I'm so passionate about it, as I saw the impacts on a limited basis on my father in the workplace, which is so important. And that's why I've committed to, you know, including diversity as a big part of my work, because here's what I know. If we have a diverse workforce of diverse people who learn from each other, we infect society with that. We make society better because these are people who wouldn't have met each other in their own neighborhoods, maybe, but they met each other at work. They understand the power of inclusion. They understand that differences in people are good, not bad. And they take those attitudes out into society. And that may not heal our conflicted world, Teo, but I did it. I said, Teo, you, <laughs> you did it. You I did it. You did it. I told you <laughs> half a dollar time. Maybe start off with Teo and I go, Teo. <laughs> yeah, so there I went. Um, but this is, you know, I, I, I'm so into this story is, is you know, I, I always wondered why. Uh, well, I didn't always wonder. I, I, did, I asked the question, why? Why me? Why did I experience this with my dad? And as I began my work in hiring, 
and I realized that my hiring system creates almost organic diversity because that's not what I was trying to do, but it did. I realized that there was a matchup between the story and my work is, yes, I'm looking to build talent rich companies who hire in an instant. But I'm also looking to do that from a diversity perspective for the reason I told you in my story, but also because it makes companies better. because I don't want anybody to have John's story ever again. I, I know that's pie in the sky, but right. I, I love that less people have to experience that in their lives. And instead, they're part of a talent-rich organization that has all the benefits of a smart, inclusive, diverse workforce. No, I love it. And I love your mission. Tell people where they can find your book. So uh, you can go to highvelocityhiring.com. That's actually the, the book page on my website that will link you to your favorite booksellers. Uh, just like uh, Tayo, there's there's so many free resources on my site as well. Please make sure to check those out and make good use of those as well. Yeah, no, Scott Scott Winthrop is uh, yeah, I mean, it's very very interesting, fascinating guys. You can hear that this is a very personal story. He just shared a story about his dad, but he's also passionate about the impact of future generations and leaders and how companies can retain the best talent. And I just want to thank you so much for. Coming on the show to spend your your time here. Uh, I think you're based in Florida. I am. Yeah, I am. Thank you for spending the time to do that because I, I think this is truly something that we all need to work on. You know, we spend most of our lives in the workplace, so we might as well enjoy it, and we might as well mm -hmm. uh, create environments that that we love. I, I usually end the podcast asking people to share how they use their differences to make a difference, but you just shared a story about uh, how you particularly do that. So you uh, you you've, uh, you've already preempted my answer but any last words that you could share with maybe hiring managers with leaders ceos or anyone involved with hiring firing and promoting would be great well yeah i couldn't trump that story because that one that one uh always gets me um a little riled up and passionate and so you nailed it but uh, I, i'm tell you i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna relate it back to you you're an inspiration to me your words, use your difference to make a difference, I think are, are the best advice. So I'm stealing from the best from you. And, and I'm going to do that in a hiring context. Everybody has personal power. All of you listening to this make a difference in some way. Your difference could be that you have expertise like mine or something different. Your, yours could be uh, in regards to the cultures you lived in. Uh, it's not just a, a one uh, one thing, it's a multifaceted thing. So first thing is, what, ask yourself, what is your difference? And then use that difference to make a difference. Yep. Use your personal power. If, if you are a leader and you're looking at an organization that's not diverse and you have the power to change that, use that power. If you're good at connecting with all kinds of people and you know others who are not, make introductions. Use that as your power. Every single person who listens to your podcast has a difference. If they use that difference to make a difference... We're going to have a better society, better companies that are, do better work. Everybody's going to win on this one because yeah. we all, you know, the saying we were all put here for a reason. That's your difference. And if you use that to make a difference and you use that in your company, you're going to see amazing things happen. You're far too kind, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a great conversation on high velocity hiring with Scott Wintrip. Make sure you get your books. Make sure you get the books because I'm sure they're going to be selling out quickly. I'll put that, um, I'll put the link to the books in the show notes, but, um, once again, I can't, you know, I can't thank you enough. And um, anyone listening, till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads. 
podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.